part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Something about those Easter songs sometimes that we begin to sing. I remember uh, the old traditional song, Up From the Grave He Rose. Remember that one? As a kid, I didn't really get all the words to it. But I got the message of it. I, I used to sing, up from the grave he arose, from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes. And, and that's it. You know, I went around the house. I was six or seven years old. I'm rolling around the house, you know, singing that song. And while those are not the actual words, it sure did get the, the whole meaning that Christ was risen from the dead. And this morning we're going to continue on. We've been looking at the last couple of weeks at the last seven sayings of Christ. And through that, we've been able, this message of the cross that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, we begin to see that is, just as Paul said, to some, it's kind of confusing. In fact, there would be even a little bit of a rebellion. They would say that it's folly. Well, look what Paul said again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross, that is this whole message of the cross, is folly to those that are perishing. In other words, some people just don't get it. They look upon it and they go, okay, I don't understand, or why would God do that? And they have more questions than answers. And perhaps that's where you are sometimes in your faith, that you have more questions about God than you have answers of God. And yet Paul then redirects and he puts us right back into uh, the whole purpose of, of Christ's coming. He says, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Easter is not just this one special day, but what it does is begin to introduce a special day for eternity for all of those that would place their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just one day that we come out and we try to dress a little bit nicer or maybe we do this or we do that, but truly Easter is one of those days where we begin to see in that first Easter, God open up and fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament and give hope for all eternity. It truly is a timeless day in all of creation, because it reaches as far back as the beginning of man, really before the foundation of the world, and it reaches all the way to the end of eternity. And so this morning, as we look at these different sayings of Christ, we've been able to see already that it was a message of forgiveness, that one of the things that Christ said is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was a message of hope when he said to that thief that was dying beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Last week we saw that it was very much a message of his humanity. And he was one of uh, taking uh, obedience and following the law. And he looked down to his mom and he said, Behold your son, as he looked to the apostle John. And then he looked to John and he said, Behold your mom. And he took care of his business. And we said last week how important that is when you know that you have just a final number of breaths left for men and, and for, for ladies to, to take care of their business. And yet we see Christ being so obedient to the law and so obedient of taking care of the business. And yet we see a, a message also of understanding. We left last week with those words, I thirst. And it was really that pronouncement of humanity that there was no limitation that Christ placed upon himself. It wasn't like he walked through this world, and even though he was fully God, he was also fully human. And he experienced everything that we would experience if we were walking here to the point when he was on the cross and he had not had liquids and, and he had not had anything to drink. That his body began to cry out and, and he cried out with his voice and said, I thirst. When we left it last week, we said, you know, this is a God who says, I, I understand. 
In Hebrews, when it talks about you have this great high priest because he was made like you in every way and he suffered in every way that you suffer so that we truly would be able to say, I have a God that understands. And we would never be able to say that even though maybe my husband doesn't understand, my, my wife doesn't understand, my father and mother don't understand, other people don't understand, even my best friend doesn't understand, I have a God who understands. Why? Because he came and he dwelt among us. And even though he was fully God, he put on the fullness of humanity. Well, that's kind of where we left it last week. We were looking at those different sayings of Christ, and we come to the last two that are there today, and, and really we kind of tag on to that last part. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 19. We'll read again those words where Christ said, I thirst, but we'll see that it continued on and that he had uh, another pronouncement from the cross that we're really going to be, it's going to be the focus of the, the, the message this morning. John 19, starting with verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So he put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When we look into the Word of God, we see that this is really this culmination of all of the work of Christ. It is finished. And perhaps you're very, very familiar with that term, and maybe it's one that you hear on Easter, and especially on Good Friday, kind of leading up in this Easter season to the resurrection. And yet this morning, I want to make sure that we kind of understand the application of that. It's one thing to have the historical knowledge of it, that there was a Christ, the Messiah, and, and that at the completion of this time on the cross that he says, it is finished. But what does that mean to you and I? What did that accomplish? Well, this morning we're going to look at four different things that it accomplished for all of those that put their faith and trust in this work of Christ, in this person of Christ. It is finished. In, in uh, the Greek, it's only one word, to die, And it's a word that uh, is used there and if you've been reading A.W.'s Pink, uh, you know, I put a reference out there that you could download. And I don't know how many of you have been reading that little book of the seven sayings of the Savior on the cross. But it's an excellent book. It's a classic book. And this is what A.W. Pink says about this phrase of Christ. He said, It is finished is but one word in the original. Yet in that word is wrapped up the gospel of God, all assurance, and the sum of of all joy. It's not that we're going to rank and say, okay, this was the most important word, this was the second most important word, but really we see a culmination of all that Christ was in this fullness of humanity come together when he's able to say there in those last breaths, it is finished. But what was finished? Certainly his human life in, in one way, at that point he was about to die, the Bible says that in his next, in the very final uh, breath, that he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So, so this is the next to last words of Christ. And yet he makes this proclamation. It is finished. But what is finished? I wonder this morning, as familiar as we are, some of us are to the Easter story, could we really say, okay, here's what is finished. 
If you were trying to tell somebody who never had heard the story of Christ before, the story of Easter, the fullness that, this, that, that God was sent his perfect son to live and dwell among us, would you be able to really say, okay, hey, here's some things of what Christ meant when he said that it is finished. And so that's where we want to spend some time this morning. What does this mean that Christ would cry out, it is finished, and then it was brought into full fulfillment three days later when he rose from the dead? But in understanding this good news and this proclamation, we kind of have to set the table. You know, I always tell you that we really don't know how good the good news of the gospel is until we kind of understand the bad news. And that's not to make us kind of grovel in dirt, guys. But we have to understand why the good news is so good news. Why it truly is the hope that we have. And to understand it is finished, we have to kind of set the table a little bit and understand a few things. First of all, we have to understand that because of man's fall, we are separated from a holy God. Now, many of you have heard that. If you've been raised in the church, you've been hearing that all your life. To others, that may be brand new. Maybe you're still of a mindset that, you know, I'm not the best guy. not the best guy in the world, but I'm sure not as bad as this person or that person. And left to our own human understanding, we would always be in this race of the human race. We were always trying to find people that were not as good as us so that somehow we could justify our own goodness. The problem is we'd always be able to find some people that are a little bit better than us, too. It's not so much that we would spend our time looking there. We would just kind of always point back. And in the world's favorite, especially in our era, in the eras of the last, you know, 50, 60 years, well, at least I'm not Hitler. And somehow, you know, we take this, you know, this very bottom example of humanity and, and we begin to say, well, at least I'm not that person. Folks, that's not how God does it. He looks upon all of us and he's looking for one thing and that is perfection and holiness. Well, that's bad news for us because there is no one that is perfect and holy except for one, Christ himself. And because of that, we are separated from a holy God. doesn't mean that God stops loving us. doesn't mean that that God stopped caring for us. But because he is just and because he is holy, he cannot mix in our sin. And so there was a problem and that is our sin that we have disobeyed God, that we have fallen short of the holiness and the glory of God. And that is a human dilemma, folks. That is not just your dilemma. That's not just the neighbor's dilemma. It is the human dilemma that all have fallen short. So that's kind of the first part of of this understanding of what Christ meant when he said that it is finished. The second part that we have to understand is God's incredible love. Now, we begin to see this mercy, and we begin to see that even though God is sending his son here, there was a temporary covering in the Old Testament of our sin. It was not a payment for sin, but it was a temporary covering. It's like sometimes if you've ever had the, the roof of your house blown off, and maybe, you know, there was some water, the damage from water. So you get out there a blue tarp, and you put this blue tarp, and you put it in there so that there's a temporary covering. Now, I don't know about you, but for the most part, that temporary covering is not meant to be there year after year after year. I don't know if you had a neighbor and they had some roof damage, and then all of a sudden, you know, five years later, they still have a blue tarp. I don't know that you would really like that in your neighborhood. Kind of, you know, it's it's temporary. And this is what we see in the Old Testament when God said, I want you to take lambs or goats, sometimes even bulls. Sometimes it could be as small as a bird. And I want you to take this, and I want you to take it to... Uh, those, uh, the ones that were the priest, 
And he said, I want you to have that as a confession and in the minutes of your sin. And they would take that animal, and, and I know this is kind of a, a gross thing, but they would actually kill that animal, and they would let that blood be a covering, a temporary covering for sin. It was not meant to be permanent. It, it was like a blue tarp on a house when you've had some water damage. And it was there, and, and so for hundreds of years, this is what they did, and they continued to come. And every time, if you want some really good reading when you're up at night and want to fall asleep, Leviticus. Go read Leviticus. Because I, I say that with all admiration for Leviticus, but guys, it will put you to sleep. Because what it is is the, the methodology, and it's kind of the, you know, God showing how all this animal sacrifice was going to work. And so it's very meaningful, but in one way, for us today, it's kind of dry reading. And yet God was establishing this. To the fact where in Hebrews, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10:11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. Which can never take away sins. Okay, I'm going to do this. It's a covering for my sin, but it never takes away my sin. There's a problem with that, guys. The problem is the minute that you bring in, I mean, maybe if you had a really good week, you think, hey, I can get by with just a bird this week. If you had a really bad week, okay, give me the biggest bull you have. And you take it in there because you have this, you know, there's this sacrifice that's going to be for your sins. And the problem is the minute you walk out, you're in need of another sacrifice. There was no permanence to it because we are repeatedly, unfortunately, sinful in our lives. None of us live perfect lives. And even when we ascribe to do so, at best, we can maybe be 90%, 95%. Maybe even somebody would aspire and could achieve 99% goodness. But would there be even one in here this morning that says, you know, for the most part, last week I was 100% good. I did everything, not just that man required, I did everything that God required. See, that's kind of where we get stuck. This isn't a comparison, am I better than you? Is this one better than me? No. God's standard of holiness, that's the only way that we're going to have relationship with him. The third thing that we see there to understand this, uh, these words is God's plan. That he did have a plan that once finally and forever there would be a payment of sins. And he sends his son, his perfect son. Jesus is perfect in every way. Folks, he is, if you're here and you're not familiar with uh, kind of the story of Jesus, he wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher, even though he was perfect in every way. And he was the most excellent teacher that there ever was. Jesus was the son of God. And he never sinned, not even once. Not even one time did his mind and his heart go off of this high calling of God's word and his commands. He was obedient in every way. And God sent this Jesus, his son, to come and live that perfect life for one purpose. And that is eventually to die on that cross, to pay the payment of our sin. Jesus understood that. It wasn't something that God sprung upon him. You know, we, we think that Jesus lived 30 plus years. And it's not like something that all of a sudden in year 17 or 18 that he goes, okay, here's the plan. He knows this all of his life. He's kind of gearing himself toward this. And in those three last years of his life in ministry, everything about Jesus is directed toward this cross. 
to the point when Jesus is praying there in those final days, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Listen and look at the words of Christ. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He's about to approach the cross and he said, look, there's not one thing on the to-do list. There's not one item that I've left off. I mean, isn't that kind of amazing for us that are really task-oriented? I I don't know that I've ever had a task list, a to-do list in my entire life that there wasn't something that I did not get to cross off. And yet Christ comes to this culmination of his earthly ministry and he says, everything that you've called me to do, Father, I've done. That's the stage. And now we go back to the cross where Christ has been there from the third hour to the ninth hour, six hours that he's on the cross and he makes this proclamation. It is finished. And it says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? Four applications for our lives this morning that we can begin to, to see this morning. First, our weight of God's promise of a Savior was fulfilled in, in these actions of Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever made you a promise and you were kind of waiting for that promise? Especially as a kid. One day, we're going to take you to Disney World. You know, man, it's God. And you kind of get excited. And you know that one day you're going to go to Disney World. Now, in that 5-year-old mind, that 10-year-old mind, that 15-year-old mind, that one day needs to be pretty close, doesn't it? Because you're pretty excited by that point that your mom and dad said that they're going to take you to Disney World. You're looking forward to this promise being fulfilled. And every day seems like just a year of time. That's how the, the Jewish people were. They'd been promised that a Messiah was coming. They'd been promised that a Savior would be sent by God. And folks, it had been centuries and centuries. It had not been days. It had not been weeks. It had been centuries that they were waiting for this Messiah to come. And then finally, Christ is born. God takes on flesh and he dwells among us. When we begin to see what was really finished, what was finished is all this prophecy and all these promises that one day God was going to send a Messiah. And he does it, and he fulfills that in Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing, especially for Old Testament you know, mindset, when they had waited and waited and waited. But there's a second thing that we see there, and that is this endless repetition of sacrifices. Remember for the Jewish people, They believed that if they were going to have a covering for their sin, they they understood that this was not a a permanent forgiveness of their sin, but if they were going to have this covering for a sin, that they would go to the temple and they would take their animal and they would sacrifice it. And they did this week after week, year after year, for all of their life. In one way, can you imagine what that's like, just every week to have to find a new lamb? every week to find a a new animal, every week to go through this, only to feel kind of clean, kind of forgiven for a moment. Again, this is where we begin to see that Christ is coming and and in this order to be pleasing to a holy God, that he puts that sacrificial system there. And yet what we see is that this blood substitute from these animals did nothing but cover, and it was temporary. When Jesus said it is finished, folks, he said never again does there need to be another blood offering. 
I don't know that you and I really grasp that. That's not an insult to you. It's not, uh, hopefully not an insult to myself. I, I don't know that we really know what it's like to wait for decades, for centuries, for somebody to come along to put an end to the sacrificial system. And yet when Christ comes, he's finally putting an end to another lamb, another bull, another goat, another little bird that has to be sacrificed. He said, no, I will be the Lamb of God. I am the Lamb of God, and I will be that final sacrifice. That word is finished, one word in the Greek, actually is an accounting term. And it's a term that is meant to to say paid in full. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever had that joy of uh, being able to go and and maybe you paid several years for a car, and uh, after you got done with those times of payments or you wrote this big final check, that they send you this letter. It says you have fulfilled all of your obligations on this contract. You've bought this car, and, and here's the title of the car, and, and we have now settled your account. It has been paid in full. That's kind of a joy. Some of you have actually done that with your home. Some of us are you're going, man, I would love to do that with my home. I would love that one day I could just sit there and say, get that letter paid in full. I don't know about you, but if you've been paying on a house... 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and you finally get that letter that says paid in full, you might, for at least a couple of days, put it up on the wall. Maybe even dance around it a little bit. There would be so much joy because something that had been kind of hanging over your head, something that you had been purposing to do for a long, long time, finally was fulfilled, and you could say, it is finished. Do you think, even in the most solemn of you. Do you think that there might be a little Baptist hallelujah about that time? I mean, even the most kind of reserved person, I can see on that moment and that day that you're feeling such relief from the burden of that debt that there would just be joy, unspeakable joy. When Christ said it is finished, the work of this payment of our sin, this repetitious sacrifice was over. And I want you to know that it was done in entirety. Anybody like doing puzzles? You put together, yeah. You like puzzles. Let's say that there was a thousand piece puzzle. I want you to understand, I don't know how you do puzzles, but you know, a lot of people will do the outside first. You get all the, the it's kind of the easiest way to do it. You get all the square pieces or the flat pieces, you do that, and then you have kind of the challenge of the inside pieces. Well, please understand this. When, when crisis is finished, he's not saying, okay, I've kind of done the outside pieces for you. Now you fill in the rest. Folks, he's not even saying, okay, I've, I've done all the pieces. Here's one last piece. All you have to do is put it down. And the only spot that's available. No, it's completely done. To the point where the Bible says, makes it very clear, that you and I, we can't add anything to the finished work of Christ. Not, not, no good work, no act of, of grandeur, mercy and grace, no grandeur act of love that you could do. We're, we're to do all those things, but that doesn't add anything because Christ has already pronounced that it is finished, this payment, this sacrifice to cover our sins and forgive our sins for all eternity was accomplished in Him. But there's also one more, and that is our separation from a holy God was finished. When Christ said it is finished, this separation that had taken place all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Now that doesn't mean that man did not know God. 
He didn't know about God. But there was a time when Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that, that God would come in the cool of the evening, that they're just, they had fellowship and direct fellowship with holy God. Can you imagine that? And yet in their fall, what we call original sin, when they disobeyed God and they did their own thing, folks, it broke this relationship between holy God and his creation, man. I don't know what it's like for you to uh, be separated from those that you love. Perhaps the greatest example that we have is when we lose a dear loved one. I shared a little bit last week of just how much I miss my dad. How I long to see him. For some of you, that may be a husband or wife that has passed before you. For others, it may be mom and dad. Others that are special in your life, and you just feel that all of a sudden there's a separation there of time and space, and you just long to see them again. Well, the separation that was there between this holy God and us was our sin. And when Christ comes and he says, okay, it is finished, folks, I want you to know that that separation was then bridged by the, uh, the, the work that he had done and we were brought back into, for all that would put their faith in, in Christ, uh, were brought back into a right relationship with this holy God. Matthew chapter 27 Verses 1551. Talk about a curtain, a veil. And when the Jewish people would go to church and to the temple, there was uh, the, the place where everybody would kind of come in, kind of like we would come here. And then if we can imagine, just right back there, there would be these really long curtains. There's different estimates of how big these curtains and long they were. But in Herod's temple, which would have been the one that they went to in the days of Jesus, they were just these long curtains. And there was only one person that could go behind those curtains, and that was the high priest. And he could only go on, the, on this one day. And it was God on one side and man on the other side. And these curtains kind of separated that. And it was with fear and trembling that they would even come into this room and look upon those curtains. But yet those curtains represented that there was a very, very, very exact separation between God and man. Do you remember what happened when Christ said it is finished? Uh, Look again at Matthew. And he cried out again, and with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. So what does that mean, Pastor? This is when he said it is finished. This separation because of our sin it was gone. That when God took all of the sins and and he placed them on Christ, when we put faith, this is not all for all humanity, but for all those that would look upon Christ and said, yes, he did this and I believe in this and I put my trust my faith to be right with the Holy God. I put it all on the work of Christ. At that moment, folks, we begin to understand that this separation was not there. That this veil really did represent our guilt and our shame in a way. It, it, it represented disease and all of our fallenness. It, it was kind of represented in one way by this veil that would keep us from the holiness of God. And Christ said, it is finished. And that very separation is torn in two. Last, we see this morning that our fear of death in the grave is finished. You might say, well, Pastor, you know, I still don't really welcome death. 
I understand that. I don't know that I really, you know, welcome the grave. I still have a little bit of a fear. But it's, uh, it's kind of really an unfounded fear in, in scriptural terms. Perhaps the biggest question in all of our lives is not only how I, will I live this life, but where, I will, where will I live for eternity? It's one of those things that we find common in all societies. Not every society out there believes in the Bible. Not every society believes in, in Jesus Christ. But one thing that we do see that is very common to all of men is that there's a belief that there's a life now and that there's a life kind of after this. And one of the biggest questions in all of our lives is, okay, especially as we start to get older, especially as we would get sick, well, what's going to happen to me for all eternity? And naturally, man has always kind of had a fear of that. Because we fear the unknown. Well, here, in the words of Christ, when he says, it is finished, he takes the unknown part out. Please hear this for what it's worth, guys. I, I, I don't welcome death tomorrow. I hope I get to, to see more grandbabies. I hope I get to, to live a little bit longer in life. But I can truly say, and please don't see this as any kind of courageous thing of bothering I just know, God, when he said it is finished, I know now with an empty tomb that he has victory over sin, death, and the grave. And I really don't have to have any fear. As the pastor said one time, he said, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand. Except for one guy that was sitting kind of in the corner of the church pastor, in a very caring way, went up to that man afterwards and said, I asked how many people want to go to heaven. And I noticed that it really, as far as I could see, everybody raised their hand, but you didn't. He said, can you tell me why? He said, I'm sorry, pastor. I thought you were getting a list for today. <laughs> so even when we kind of get that mindset that it's all been taken care of, folks, it's not like, okay, all of a sudden we have this death wish. But one thing that we can't have is the freedom from the fear of death. Freedom that, from the fear that somehow we're going to be separated from this holy God, this loving God forever. Luke chapter 23, verses 43 through 46. I want you to look especially at the, the, the last verse, verse 46. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Okay, we've already kind of covered that, right? We're up to that point. Now look at verse 46. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. These were the last words of Christ on the cross. They are not words of fear, but, but words of contentment. They were not fear uh, words of dread, but words of confidence. Guys, we can kind of play church. We can kind of try to apply all the spiritual principles to, to give us the best life now and, and all this. The basic thing is you and I have been created by a holy God, and he loves us. And yet we were born with the nature of sin. That is a nature of rebellion. From the very beginning, we kind of wanted our own way. And that estranges from a holy God. And yet this loving God thought so much of us that he would send his only son 
who would live perfectly and then die in our place. Be placed in the grave and three days later rise from again, from the dead. What is finished? This estrangement from a holy God because of our own sin. This relationship that had been broken now is restored. This fear of death that, okay, what's going to happen to me in, in, in eternity? Where will I go? That all these answers come through these words of Christ. It is finished. And they're accomplished on that third day. When he rises from the dead and they find an empty tomb. Long to see God. I, I long to see my Savior. But I'll be honest with you. As much, I mean, I, I know the right religious answer, the right spiritual answer is that, that I long to see God in, in the glory, and I really do. I really do. But guys, I'm just saying from a human perspective, I, I long to see my daddy again. And here's the promise. Please don't take less that, that somehow we're not making much of Christ. Yes, to see him in all this glory is going to be amazing. That is what heaven will be. And yet here's the promise. For anyone who's ever lost a loved one who's gone and preceded you and they're now with the Lord, here's what the promise of God is. And here's what resurrection is all about. Paul writes it this way to the Corinthians. When this perishable, he's talking about the body, when this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Either the most crass words ever written Paul got it. He understood the victory of the cross. He understood the victory of resurrection. He knew about eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he could say, okay, the sting of death is sin, but Christ has covered that sin. So so where's the sting of death? That is not belittling of the mourning and and all the, the heaviness of grief that comes upon us when we lose a loved one. Folks, what it is is the joy of the resurrection that God has said for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. There is tomorrow and there is eternity. And that's why he finishes with verse 57. Uh, verse 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. And that's our hope. That's what Easter is all about. It really is. But, you know, we can make it about a lot of different things. We can gather together and, and we can just say, okay, it's victory, victory. But what kind of victory? Folks, it's victory over sin, death, and the grave that Christ accomplished and now he extends to you and I. He, he truly has risen. He has risen indeed. And with that comes a finished work that we can count on so that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear sin. And we don't have to fear the grave. This is Easter in its most basic of understandings. This is the offering of Christ, that finished work for you and for me. Many of you have put your faith and your trust for your own rightness with God 
into the hands of Christ. You, you, you've looked upon the cross. You've heard the confession of Christ. And you have said, you know, he is my Lord. He's my Savior. And I confess that. Perhaps this is all brand new to you. I'd love to talk with you at some point in time. I'd love to be able to share with you the hope that I have. Not all the religion and not all the this, that, and the other. Just the relationship that I've found with this wonderful God that loved me so much that he would send his son. His son would accomplish everything perfectly and then say it is finished so that you and I could have this hope of eternal life forevermore. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, as we come this morning, Father, we, we tell a story that's been told millions and millions of times. And yet, Father, I pray that this morning we would never tire of hearing of this finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this morning that, that we would have that renewal of hope and of what the resurrection means, that one day... Father, it's not just that we get heaven, and it's not just that we get to see loved ones, but, Father, that we get you. And, Father, that one day our Savior will embrace us and welcome us into a home for all eternity. Until this, that day, Father, help us to rest with, with the same confidence that Christ had when, when he bowed his head and he said, into my Father's hands I commit my spirit, Father, that we would have that kind of confidence and we would have that kind of joy. Father, as we live this life now with all of its stress, with all the things that go undone, that never get finished, that we would be able to proclaim that there is one thing that we know is definitely finished in this very unfinished world and that is the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, as we go out this Easter Sunday morning, This resurrection day, Father, we sing this song that puts all of our focus, all of our attention, and Father, this morning, all of our worship back on to the one that has bought us this salvation, Christ our Lord. We love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you that we can rest this day in the finished work of Christ. As we pray this in the power of his name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.